Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. We are going to jump into the scriptures this morning. Hey, listen, if you're a guest with us today, uh, these are the moments in our services at Calvary we come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today, so we take these moments each and every week to come around the scriptures together, to learn more about who Jesus is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, how we're called to respond with our lives to the saving message of Jesus and learn to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. And so this weekend, we're gonna be looking at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 12. We're gonna be beginning in verse 46. Let's read this together. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we are just grateful to be together today. It is an honor to get to stand with this specific group of people and get to look at your word this morning. And so, Lord, I would just ask that whatever it is that you would want to speak to all of us, would you do so today? We open up our hearts, we open up our minds to receive fully from you. Lord, we know that even though we walk through these doors this morning, our lives have not stopped. The things that we've been thinking about have not gone away. Our worries and our anxieties, they are still ever so present on the forefront of our mind. But even so, we press in. We press in and we ask the Spirit of God to speak to us this morning. So do so. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, of the 8 billion people who live in the world today, 2.5 billion of them claim that Christianity is their religion. This number is comprised of men and women and children who are all following the way of Jesus spread across the entirety of the globe. In fact, I kind of want to show you where the Christian population is across the globe. There's some data that we're going to show up on the screen. This information is taken from 2020, and it shows the percentage of the 2.5 billion people and where they live on the earth. Africa carrying 26.1% of the Christian population, Asia, 15.1%, Europe, 22.8%, Latin America, 24.1%, North America, 10.8%, and Oceania, 1.1%. I first saw this data posted by a pastor that I follow, and the caption that he had was, your daily reminder that Christianity is not a Western religion. Now that has not always been the case. I went and looked at the same data and they had a bunch of incredible research done. But one of the charts that I saw was between the difference between 2020 but then also taking it back to the 1900s. So look with me for a second at the percentages of Christians in 1900 compared to 2020. Africa, 1900, only 1.7% of the Christian population was there, now up to 26.1. 
Asia, 3.9 up to 15. This one is very interesting. In 1900, 68.2% of Christians resided in Europe. That is now down to 22%. Latin America, 11.1 up to 24.1. North America, 14.2 down now to 10.8. And Oceania, just a couple clicks up. Now, what caught my attention as I was looking at this data was the percentage increase of Christians in areas where believers are known to experience what I am going to call this weekend hard pressure for being Christian. That is pressure that can oftentimes operate by hostility and even force. I remember just a few years ago watching the Think Conference online and I heard Pastor David Platt share some incredible stories of what he calls the underground church. This underground persecuted church in parts of Southeast Asia and Africa. See, Christians in some of these areas, they do not get to gather like we are gathering together today. They come together into small rooms. They walk in one at a time so they don't draw attention to the group. It is not uncommon that they will actually leave the very one Bible that they have, they'll leave it outside of the village hidden somewhere. And then under the cover of darkness, when everybody is gathered, they will send a runner to go get the Bible to smuggle it back into the village. And then under a single light bulb, they will sit in the quiet of the night and they will read the scriptures together. And then inevitably, a runner will take it back and hide it, hoping to God that it'll be there the next day. Now imagine for a moment the perceived challenges that would be associated with being faithful to Jesus in these types of places. I mean, to be caught in one of these small gatherings would have real life consequences, the loss of a job, the loss of your home, the loss of land, possible imprisonment, and even death. Yet amongst the hostility, the church in these countries is growing. Now, let's come back home for a moment. We are blessed to experience incredible amounts of freedom in the United States of America. Now, this may change in the future, but to this point in our nation's history, we have yet to experience significant examples of hard pressure for being Christian. I mean, let's just be honest, each of us, we freely chose to drive here today And when we entered onto the parking lot, we did not look back behind our shoulder to see if anybody saw us coming in. We did not worship quietly, although some of you may wish that we did. (laughs) We were free to pray whatever we wanted to pray. Uh, We do not only have one Bible to read from. I bet in this room right now there are hundreds of Bibles, and some of yours are so fancy they even glow this morning. See, the reality is that we are living in one of the most well-resourced Christian cultures in history. We have video sermons, church on demand, endless worship albums, Christian radio, Christian podcasts, Christian television, Christian concerts, Christian conferences. The Christian subculture that we have created is bountiful. If you want it, we have it. And all of this could lead us to this belief that there are minimal challenges to remaining faithful to Jesus while living in America. But is that entirely true? See, while we may not be experiencing hard pressure, we do experience countless forms of what I'm going to call soft pressure. 
See, if hard pressure operates by hostility and force, soft pressure operates by subtle and intentional influence over time. Now, there are many examples of soft pressure in our American culture. I think of the forming influence of materialism. I think about the political idolization that we have taking place in our nation. I think about entertainment. I think about our, our culture's obsession with celebrities. I mean, do we really have to care that Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey? We don't have to, <laughs> but we do because it's everywhere. I think about the forming influence of the digital age, and we talk about it often from this platform. Apps like Instagram and TikTok, what are they actually doing in us? Who are they helping or forming us to become? I think about the influence of consumerism. I mean, yesterday morning, I had to go to Fred Meyer, and my wife said, well, we'll all go with you. And I thought, I don't want you all to go with me, because I know what happens when we all go together. I made it very, very clear before we left. I said, listen, everybody, I need you to key in. I need some undershirts and I need some shaving cream. That's why I'm going. That's what we're getting. Don't think anything else is going to happen. I got the shirts. I got the shaving cream. I got a new belt. My wife got pine cones that smell like Christmas because that's essential for right now. Astoria got a toy, Otto got a toy. I had bought August a toy on Amazon the night before because we were at a birthday party. We saw this really cool gift that this one kid got, so I thought, I'll get that for my kid. And then I think we got a pack of mints. But isn't that like how consumerism works, right? I'm going for this, and then they just go, yeah, but you also would really enjoy these things as well. See, what these influence are doing is they are offering us a vision of how to experience the good life. They tell us that they can provide the life we are looking for. And while I believe that each of these influences can challenge faithful discipleship to Jesus, I think there is another that is even more potentially disruptive and detrimental, that being our culture's obsession with individualism. Individualism, as defined by behavioral scientists, means to value autonomy, self-expression, and the pursuit of personal goals rather than prioritizing the interest of the group, be it family, community, or country. See, individualism is the cultural orientation of modern America. We are simply enamored with project self. I mean, there is a global individualism scale where they they look at different countries and they look at a bunch of different data, and guess who took the top? We did. Congratulations. Of a scale of 1 to 100, we scored as a country a 91, followed by Australia, which was a 90, and then the United Kingdom, which was an 89. Again, all Western countries. See, individualism is so deeply entrenched in our country that one author even goes as far as calling it the American ideal. In his book, The Connected Life, Todd Hall says the following, the American ideal values independence over friendship, personal comfort over commitment to others, solitary achievements over the common good, and economic success over social and emotional well-being. 
Again, according to our culture, the life that we are looking for will only be found when our wants and our desires and our feelings and our expectations take center stage to everyone and to everything else. Now let's pause for a moment because we need time to reflect. Because with individualism being so prevalent in American culture, we who follow the way of Jesus, we must be diligent to ask ourselves, have we given in to its pressure? Do we too choose independence over friendship? Do we choose our comfort over commitment, solitary achievement over the common good? Are our personal dreams what matter most? Do our individual goals and our fulfillment and our happiness, do those take center stage even to our existence? I mean, I can just hear the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. They just ring in my head this whole week as preparing. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. But if we're vulnerable and if we're honest with ourselves, the fact is that we do. We do conform to the pattern of the world. And the consequences are quite severe. See, we have to begin to ask ourselves today, what are the results when Christian followers give in to the pressure of individualism? When our individual wants and desires and dreams and feelings and expectations, when they reign supreme to everyone and to everything around us, see, I believe what will begin to happen is our marriages will suffer. Our families suffer. Our kids suffer. Our commitment suffers, our communities suffer, our workplaces suffer. And I also believe that the church and the mission of God suffers. I mean, let's just think for a moment how individualism may be affecting the way that we view and participate in the church. See, individualism would have us enter those doors right there and the first thing individuals would have you do is ask the question, what can this place do for me? What is here for me to consume? How can this experience lead to my own personal development and help me to achieve my own personal dreams? How can this place entertain me? See, individualism would say, participate as long as it serves your benefit. And the moment that it fails to do so, when the church does not meet our expectation, feel free to leave. Individualism would tell us, sure, come and engage in relationship. But the moment someone says something that you do not like, challenges your way of thinking, your way of living, offends or hurts you, move on. And you can even use the spiritual veneer of, well, God is just calling us elsewhere. Now, please, do not for a moment think I'm saying that there are not legitimate reasons to leave a local body. There are. There's plenty of them. But I do think at times we leave too soon. See, there is something that we must understand about this place. A truth about the church that we must recapture, a reality that must be stronger than our desire for individualism, and that is simply this. The church is not a building filled with individuals pursuing their dreams. The church is a family pursuing Christ, one another, and God's mission for the world. That is why we have gathered here together today. 
Not to say, what can this place do for me? How can this place help me? What can I get from this place? We come together to say, we worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and we wanna partner with him in the renewal of all things. That is the heart posture of our church. And that is the heart posture of all of the church. The question is, are we living into that reality today? Which takes us back to the passage of scripture that we opened up our time with. See, what Jesus is doing in these verses is he's beginning to lay out a framework for the idea that the church is a family. And we see this throughout his teachings, but I wanna hone back into the passage we read in Matthew 12. Let me reword, or at least reread verse 46 to 48 to you. So while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, before we go any further into this moment, we have to understand the type of culture that this is taking place in. See, the Greco-Roman world was a strong group society, and here's what that simply means. Number one, the individual uh, did not take priority to the group, so the group took priority to the individual. The family, number two, was the individual's most important group, and the closest family bond was between siblings. So when Jesus' mother and brother show up, it's not culturally unreasonable for someone to say, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. Your brothers are here. James, Jude, they're outside. They want to see you. I mean, I could just imagine that the people who pointed this out to Jesus were probably assuming Jesus would say something like, hey, everyone, we're gonna take five. My mommy's here. I, I, need, to, I need to go see what's up. My brothers are here. Because again, that's the cultural context, right? This family is everything. It is most important. But see, what Jesus is about to do was subversive to cultural norms and expectations, which is something that we just have to get comfortable with in the teachings of Jesus. So in verse 49, he says, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now again, these are one of the moments in the teachings of Jesus where you can kind of scratch your head and just go, huh? I mean, Jesus, don't let your mom hear that for crying out loud. I mean, our first thought, can we just be honest, when we read passages like this, or what's the other one where you know, the, Jesus wants a gentleman to follow him and he says, well, I gotta go bury my dad. And, and Jesus is like, just let the dead bury the dead. He may not have said it like that, but that's how I hear it. And we read that and we go, dear Lord, that is, that's a lot. But here's something that we need to realize, and I want you to hear my heart when I say this. Jesus is more concerned about who we are becoming than how we are feeling. That is not to say that he does not care about your feelings. He does. He gave you feelings for a specific reason. That is okay to have feelings. But he does not elevate them over what he's teaching. So even in a hard teaching like this, he knows how it might make the reader feel, and even us today, but he still speaks it because we have to realize that he's trying to do something here. 
he's doing something very strategic. He's beginning to actualize the new kingdom that he came to bring. He is unveiling the relational dynamics of his new kingdom that is at hand. See, as Jesus begins to call his disciples brother, sister, and mother, he's effectively laying the groundwork for a new type of family that will emerge out of his death and that his resurrection will serve to be the invitation to all who choose to accept it. And because of this, family becomes the predominant language used in the scriptures to describe the church. I mean, simply look at the writings of the apostle Paul. A computer search for family terminology yields the following data for the 13 letters of Paul in the New Testament. We're gonna throw that up there on the screen for you. You have the Greek root on the left side, our English equivalent in the middle, and then the occurrences. I mean, brothers and sisters, 139 times. Father, 63. Heir, 19. Son, 17. Child, 39. What that means is that family language is used over, or at least 277 times in Paul's 13 letters. Why so much? Because the church is a family. And the invitation to us this weekend is to recapture this idea and be compelled to live it out. See, what if, as Jesus subverted the cultural norms of his day, what if we did the same? What if we took seriously the words of the Apostle Paul to not conform to the pattern of the world? to not give in to the pressures of individualism. What if we did as Philippians 2 verses three and four says, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. Not looking at your own interest, but each of you in the interest of the others. Or even to look at the words of the apostle John, not as optional, but as essential. He said this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. See, this weekend, the question is, how can we begin to live more fully into God's vision for the church as a family and to push back against the radical individualism of our day? And so to do this, I wanna give us just three quick phrases. Because this is something that we're gonna have to unpack over years, but we have to start somewhere. So the first phrase is simply this, it's gonna take reflection and repentance. We need to be as a church always constantly living in patterns of reflection. How have we allowed ourselves to give in to the pattern of the world? And we've got to reflect on that and, and feel the weight of that. See how it is disrupting our lives and our families and even the local body of believers. And then the next thing is the beauty is that we get to repent. We get to turn away. We get to confess to God, to confess to one another and to move forward in what God is calling us to. We need to operate in patterns of reflection and repentance. Secondly, reconciliation and restoration. The reality is there may even be someone in this room right now that you need to reconcile with. I mean, can I just be honest with you? We hurt one another. And let's not pretend that because we're doing a singular message on the idea of the church as a family that we somehow have found the silver bullet and everything's gonna be fixed. It's not. 
which means that we're gonna have to be really good about seeing the types of individuals and to reflecting back on how we may have affected them and then to go to find moments to restore, to reconcile, to live in this beautiful pattern of restoration. See, here's the deal. We live in a culture and a time that the minute that you do something that offends me or hurts me, you're done. We're done. And the thing is, we as the church do not get to play by that same rule book. Our whole story is based upon failure and restoration. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We all desperately needed a savior. And luckily, God loved us so much to take on human form, to come to earth. Yes, to live out a perfect life and give us a vision for what life could look like, but then also to pay the penalty of sin. And then he receives us once again. And that is a pattern that we as Christians need to walk out to receive one another again, even when we have hurt one another. That does not mean there are not consequences to our actions. But we do need to try to work towards reconciliation and restoration. And then the last one is this, responsibility and risk. See, there's a responsibility that we all have. Here's the honest to God truth. If we do not all capture a vision to really walk out discipleship, to be spiritually formed, to become more like Jesus, this whole family thing will be a disaster. And here's the honest truth. Some of you know that because you're part of families that are dysfunctional. There's selfishness. Radical individualism, everyone's focused on themselves, what they want, what they need, not taking into account how it might affect you. See, we have to take a responsibility this morning and realize that when you enter into this place, you are adding something. And is that adding life and love and joy or dysfunction? Now don't hear that as being harsh. We are all in our own ways dysfunctional but will we take responsibility to begin to grow? That's why I love, you know, we talked a number of weeks ago about all of the men who signed up to be part of Brave. You know what's so beautiful about Brave? What you're gonna do is you're gonna get to go back a little bit because sometimes we have to go back to go forwards and you get to understand where some of that dysfunction that we live out in our reality, where it's rooted in and guess what? We're gonna uncover that. We're gonna see the lies beneath it. We're gonna replace it with truth and we're gonna allow the spirit of God to move and to restore us into the new people that he has always called us to be. And then when we go through those processes, we begin to bring into the community, not dysfunction, but vision for what this family has always been designed to be. But with the responsibility that we all take is also risk. Because can I just tell you, at times we're gonna get it wrong. And I wish, again, I could just say, listen, isn't this great? We're a family and we would all go, charge, this is awesome. Everything's perfect forever and ever. Oh, I wish. But it's not. See, there's a risk in being part of a family. I'm not saying that I will never hurt you or not meet your expectation and I will never say that you may not meet my expectation or hurt me. But it's worth the risk because of the reward. It's worth the risk because we might actually begin to become the type of people that reflect something different than what the world is offering. And that is God's vision for his church in this time and in this place. So here's what we're gonna do. 
see, here's what you want me to do. You want me to go, isn't that great, church? Let's pray and go. But I just think we should risk, even right now. Everyone's like, palms are sweaty. Listen, we did something last night because I just felt Holy Spirit prompting that this is how you're to end this weekend. So we're gonna do it again because if I stop listening to the Holy Spirit, kick me off this thing. I want everybody to stand up and the worship team is gonna come out in just a moment and they are gonna lead us into a song at the very end. We're not completely dismantling what your expectation would be. But here's what I wanna do. For a number of minutes together, I'm gonna invite you, and let me say this very clearly. This is an invitation, okay? Everything's invitation. But here's what I wanna see happen. I would love to see just pockets of people turning towards one another. Maybe just take a moment to, if you have something that's just pressing on your heart, something going on in your life that you would be willing to share, you're more than welcome to, you do not have to. And what I'm just gonna ask is that after maybe just a moment of just kind of sharing a little bit, just start to pray. If you don't feel comfortable to pray out loud, then don't. But the thing is, I know that there are people in this room who are willing and have a passionate desire to pray. Now, as you turn, don't everyone get all loud. And sometimes, you know, when we feel awkward, we try to make jokes. I don't wanna hear one joke during this time, (laughs) except for that one. Let's all turn, begin to speak to one another, share with one another, start to pray. And then in just a couple minutes, the worship team's gonna lead us into worship. Let's do that right now. Let's risk. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.